Seeds of Growth, a podcast of the Association of National Advertisers. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Our topic today, moving beyond the binary, how gender marketing is rapidly changing for brands and organizations. These are dramatic changes affecting the marketing and advertising landscape, and they intersect with a growing commitment among brands and organizations to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The groundswell comes amid major changes in the population regarding identity, with more than 12% of U.S. millennials identifying as transgender or gender nonconforming, and 20% identifying as LGBTQ, according to GLAAD, the world's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer media advocacy organization. Indeed, products that don't adhere to pink and blue protocols have started to proliferate among the globe's biggest brands. For instance, Mattel's Creatable World, a new toy line encouraging kids to create their dolls in multiple stylings without labels connoting gender. MasterCard's True Name, which offers customers the option to put their chosen name rather than their legal birth name on their credit card, a sore spot for many non-binary and transgender people. And there's also the power to transform, a marketing campaign by Pantene, part of Procter & Gamble, that redefines what beautiful looks like and features a range of people within the LGBTQ community telling their stories of transformation. Here to, to discuss these changes and what they mean for CMOs and brand managers are Brent Miller, Senior Director, Global LGBTQ Equality, Creative Content and Partnerships, at Procter & Gamble, and Lisa Kenny, CEO of Reimagine Gender, which helps companies, policy, policymakers, and families understand gender and also assists clients with developing gender policy. Thank you both for joining me on Champions of Growth. Brent, I'd like to start with you. P&G has been at the forefront of driving change in gender marketing, including the Pantene campaign I just referred to and similar efforts among the company's other brands, such as a campaign for Gillette featuring a trans man performing his first shave with his father. For brand ma managers, what are the major challenges to develop and execute marketing and ad campaigns that transcend traditional gender roles? Well, thanks, Matthew. Uh, it's great to be here and great to be here with Lisa as well. This question is something that's been evolving really over the last several years, and it's something that we are continuing to learn about. And, you know, I think one of the things that we have to commit ourselves to is education and getting really deep with people to better understand how they're identifying, what that means, and what that means in, in relation to our brand. I think for a long time, we took for granted binary gender construct and felt that there was either, you know, one way or the other. And, you know, now what we're seeing is the incredible spectrum of the way people are identifying. And as you pointed out from the GLAD study and the GLAD data, I mean, one of the things you didn't mention was that generation upon generation, we're seeing more and more people identify differently as part of the LGBTQ community. So this is something that marketers, I think, have really failed to notice or failed to fully um, dive into as a practice. And now is the time to immerse ourselves and to better understand the implications for our businesses. As part of that, it's not just about thinking about how are we creating brand communication, brand ideas, um, brand initiatives that reach the gender expansive community, but how do we find those insights that help us understand humanity more fully? Because I think that is the real key. You know, when we bring to life like a Pantene campaign, where in Europe we have a campaign called Hair Has No Gender that looks at the transformation process of transgender women as they transition and start to wear their hair the way they 
they've always dreamed of. And it helps people understand the role that hair plays in people's lives in a more profound way. Or to the campaign that you mentioned from Gillette called First Shave, which looks at a transgender man shaving for the first time. I think everybody recognizes your first shave is a rite of passage in your life. But when you see it in the context of a transgender man shaving, it puts a whole new context in that moment. So whether you're cisgender, transgender, or gender non-binary, it helps to capture a bit of the human spirit that we can all recognize. But we can't get there if we don't do our homework and we don't invest the time to get to know people and get to know the things that are impacting their lives. Because that's the only way that we're ever going to get to accurate and authentic representation. And as brands and companies, that's truly our obligation is to make sure that we're getting around shortcutting or any other of the paths that may start with good intent, but then could further marginalize a community because we don't quite understand some of the pitfalls or some of what's around the corner because we haven't done it before. So working with organizations like Lisa's, working with organizations like GLAAD to help us understand more deeply is really the first step. And then translating that into a way that brings your brand into a realistic and obvious conversation about why they're part of the conversation is super critical. And what we found is that when we do that, it doesn't become a gender non-binary campaign or a transgender campaign or an LGBTQ campaign. It becomes a campaign about humanity and it has broad appeal. And that is really the cornerstone of what's going to be the future of marketing in this space. Okay. And in terms of real best practices, ad creative, distribution, you have all the folks in the room from the various disciplines and you're iterating these ideas. Can you point to the best practices here for companies that, again, market products with gender in mind? I know you have Pantene and Gillette. What bubbles to the surface in terms of the real, you know, concrete examples of how to execute? I think first and foremost is know what you want to say, know why you're going to say it, and know how you're going to get it across. And what we've seen from a lot of different brands that are entering this conversation is because it's a new space, there's a lot of energy for it. There's a lot of people that are LGBTQ in the creative field that have been yearning for years to make these types of campaigns, and they want to put everything in the kitchen sink into the campaign. They want to make a transgender campaign that might be um, based in a locker room when you're doing something that's about hair. And, you're like, and so it's like, understand what levers you need to pull in order to get your message across and to help get the clarity of that idea and that insight through and make sure that you're being intentional about it. Because I think sometimes in our excitement, in our wish to create new content that tells stories that haven't been told before, sometimes we try to communicate too much. So it's be very, very clear, be absolutely certain that you understand the story that you're trying to tell and make sure that representation is accurate and authentic. And you can do that by, of course, being really intentional about your casting, be very intentional about who's behind the camera, and even going as far as being intentional about the environment that you're creating on set. When Pantene did a, an ad called Home for the Holidays that they shot with the transgender chorus of LA. And they worked with GLAAD to bring um, people on set to make sure that everybody on the set was trained to understand what the set environment needed to be like to make a welcoming, inclusive environment. And all of those steps help to make a terrific end product because it's just not what people see in the final commercial or in the final piece of content. It's the experience that you make out of it. And that's what makes it sustaining. And to the point about sustaining is when you do that, when you do your homework, 
And when you build something that's really meaningful, it becomes an effort that then gets built into the fabric of how you're building your brand. And it's not a one-off activity. It's not, as our chief brand officer, Mark Pritchard says, it's not bolted on. And mm -hmm. because if you bolt something on, you can't sustain it. So all of those elements ensure that you have a successful delivery and one success moves you a step further. And that success begets another success. And that's what starts to create a virtuous cycle of representation that we can ultimately sustain. And Lisa, in working with your clients, can you talk to both the opportunities they sense with these changes, as well as their concerns when it comes to understanding gender vis-a-vis -vis their marketing and advertising efforts? Absolutely. And thank you, Matthew, too, for including me today and for being with Brent, who, in all honesty, is just one of the folks that understands us and has executed this better than really probably anybody I know. I mean, I think for most companies in looking at gender today, what they, the real opportunity is growth and whatever that means for them. There's certainly quite a bit of interest in segmentation and doing a better job on that front. I think for a smaller group of marketing folks, there's interest in how do they differentiate the brand around aspects related to gender and then certainly some are looking for how do they establish a niche presence within a large market by taking a gender inclusive approach. And I think all of those are really interesting opportunities. And we're seeing a lot of examples of that in the marketplace. I think when we talk about the concerns, they fall into a few buckets. I would say the biggest one is sort of how do we ungender or become more gender inclusive without alienating our existing customers? I'd say that's the number one issue that comes up for folks. For some of the legacy brands, I think some of the challenges, how do we compete with challengers in our space who don't carry our history as a brand without looking clumsy in this transition process. It's hard to be compared to somebody who doesn't have some of these same constraints. And then I'd say for some of the marketing groups, it's, it's a comment like I heard recently with one of my clients was it was a director level person and there were several people above them that were sort of coming in and out of meetings. And at one time during a break, what he said was, you know what, the truth is our company really doesn't have a handle on gender leadership really just wants a quick fix. And I'm afraid if we move forward right now that we're going to really screw this up. And I think that that speaks to what Brent was also saying about a bolt-on approach. And a lot of companies are missing the mark when that happens. You've got to do your homework. You've got to understand what gender is and then figure out what your authentic representation is of that, consistent with your brand. In terms of having a really organic approach rather than that bolt-on. And how crucial is it in the conversations you're having with your clients to explain, as you and I discussed uh, previously, that brands make a mistake when they think about gender in purely isolated terms, when everybody, regardless of their sexual orientation or identity, is affected by constructions of gender. Can you talk to that, please? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is a really critical miss that a lot of companies have, which is when they, and it happens inside organizations as well as then how it manifests from the brand. We tend, when we talk about gender, we tend to think about gender as either a women's issue or a trans slash LGBTQ issue. And in fact, all of us are affected by constructions of gender in different ways, certainly, and to different degrees, but we're all affected. I think leaving, for example, men out of the conversation about gender for the most part is a huge mistake. Uh, men are also affected by constructions of gender. So I think that's a really important thing. I think the other missing piece that we're getting to, and Brent touched on this as well, which is when we think about gender only in the context of identity, we're really missing the boat. What we're really seeing in brands 
events today and what we're seeing in the population when we just look at the human experiences, a lot of gender expansion, a lot of reimagining and rewriting of the rules. It isn't just identity issues. This is also expression, right? We're much more likely to see somebody who identifies as a man, for example, in a skirt or a blouse coming to work. He has facial hair, but he also has maybe clothing or accessories that have been deemed as feminine, but now are actually considered to be all gender. And so when we think about in terms of identity, we're missing that we're also having changing gender roles, gender norms, and ways of gender expression, sort of aspects of our social gender, if you will, that are changing. We also know that, for example, 40, only 44% of Gen Zers buy products or other, you know, clothing or other products that have been designed for their gender. They just simply don't see gender in the binary. They have no desire to stay within those limitations to them. Colors are just colors. Clothing articles are just clothing articles. And to the degree that we continue to perpetuate binary gender and traditional gender norms, we just simply are not speaking their language. Do you advocate an incremental approach for your clients? I think absolutely. This is one of the things that I think can feel really overwhelming to companies is they sort of feel like they need to take this huge bite all at once when in fact that really isn't the right way to do it. In almost every case, we need to start with education. The truth is most companies really don't have a terrific sense of gender. There's a lot of discussion in the interchangeability of sex and gender as if it's the same thing when in fact those are two different aspects of self related but different and this conflation between gender and sexuality. So again, related but different aspects of self. We need to start there and make sure that everybody understands that because in most companies we're just miscommunicating. We're not having the same conversation because we don't have a common language and framework. So that's a problem. I think we need to, once we start there though, it's really interesting. Reimagine Genders partners with Porter and Valley on some work that we do around gender with them and their clients. And we just had an executive session recently that that was pretty typical in the sense that initially the concern, we were brought in by the innovation group, which I thought was terrific. And, and we started looking at what gender was. And I think people weren't sure how it was going to be responded to. By the end of that executive session, there was an overflow of opportunities. I mean, that, that I think everybody in that executive session just was tremendously excited about the ideas that they began to see, but it had to start with education. And oftentimes, People want to shortcut that. They go, well, we think we've got it. We sort of understand this and they want to move forward. But you you really have to do your homework. Most mistakes come from having not done your homework. And, and even the best of intentions are going to fail if, if that's where you're, go- you're coming from. And you're going to get in trouble if you give the education element short shrift. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And Brent, for brands to want to change how they approach gender in their marketing efforts, how do companies avoid tokenism or so-called rainbow washing? or charges by people who companies are trying to engage that the brand is just being symbolic or perhaps worse, fetishizing certain communities? Well, I think it's a great question. And particularly this time of year, we get a lot of questions about this, about tokenism and rainbow washing and really the intent of companies and their relationship with you know, the LGBT community and you know, in the gender conversation. I think, first of all, we need to make sure that what we're doing inside the company back is backed up on the outside. And our policies and our uh, manner of operations are consistent with the themes of the campaigns we're bringing forward. That doesn't mean we always have to be perfect, right? But we need to be in an ongoing dialogue where we're growing 
as companies and we're in turn helping our communities and society grow through the messages that we send out in the world. I think the second thing is being really clear, intentional about the insight that you're bringing forward. I mean, we talk about things around the four R's. We talk about reach, representation, relevancy, and resonance. And when you get into this idea of an insight being relevant and resonant to a community where it speaks to the depth of your understanding of what's going on in their community, what's important to them, what's impactful to them. And when you can nail that, you get beyond this element of tokenism because so much of LGBTQ advertising begins as a representation game. I am going to swap out what has been a cisgender or a heterosexual representation into a different LGBTQ construct. And oftentimes that's nice right? But it doesn't hit the depth of the experience of the community. So that homework is absolutely essential. And then making sure that, as I said before, the casting and the creative direction behind that is represented by the community, because those elements are absolutely critical to nailing that representation and getting it right. And I think when you put those factors together, you have really strong opportunity to make a big impact. I will say this, though, a lot of companies and a lot of brands enter the conversation around this time of year during Pride. And I say, come into the conversation. If, if this is the point of entry for you, welcome. What we want to make sure we're doing is giving people the tools and the opportunity to improve and turn that into a long, sustained relationship with the LGBT community. And I have a saying that somebody told me once that I love to, to use is that everybody's pride is somebody's first pride. And that goes for young people, that goes for parents, that goes for companies and brands. And so if this is your first pride, let's, you know, we need to give people room to make mistakes and we need to give them the tools to help them grow because we need the power of their voices to help continue the conversation and help drive normalcy, drive understanding and drive society. And does P&G's landmark study with GLAAD, LGBTQ inclusion in advertising and media, which was released uh, earlier this year, provide some guidance? What are the major takeaways? That study is interesting because it was born out of an insight that only 1.8% of creative that was submitted to CAN in 2019 included LGBTQ representation. And so we wanted to better understand what are the barriers that are happening within creative agencies, within companies that are impacting the representation of the community. And I think what was most interesting to us is that the main driver of a lack of representation are companies and agencies fearing backlash for getting it wrong. I think a generation ago, it would have been backlash for having the community represented from people that weren't supportive of LGBTQ people or gender nonconforming people. And today, people are afraid that their representations aren't going to be accurate or authentic because we haven't developed practice. We haven't really understood that as brand builders. So our goal in starting the dialogue is that we've established something with GLAD called the Visibility Project so that we can work with companies in giving them the tools, giving them the training, giving them the foundational elements to ensure that they get that representation right and we can get over that barrier. And if we do that in partnership with other companies and other brands within the industry, we're all going to get better. And it, collectively, it's going to have a huge impact on the way the community is perceived and the understanding of the different dynamics that um, you know everyone is going through. And that's going to have ultimately a big impact on quality and the conversations that are happening. And as of this month, 33 states have introduced more than 100 bills that aim to curb the rights of transgender people across the country, according to CNN, with advocacy groups calling 2021 a record-breaking year for such legislation. Do anti-transgender bills affect the company's efforts regarding gender-related marketing? How do you navigate what's a very divisive terrain? I think it forces us to really look internally and refocus our efforts and double down to make sure the representations that we are putting out into the world are helping advance the 
conversation in a responsible way and that we are hitting on insights that are human insights that help develop understanding and help people see each other through shared experiences. And there's obviously a very strange and concerning dynamic about anti-transgender law. And, you know, as a company, we have been a long supporter of the Equality Act to help drive equal rights and equal protections at the national level. And we've got to continue to keep our guard up, right? We've got to continue to look at some of the cyclical things that can occur as it relates to marginalized communities to ensure that we are using our voice the most responsible way possible to keep that conversation moving forward. I think sometimes it's easy to get stuck in some of the minutia of what some of the laws are in certain states and what it means. And our job as marketers is to represent humanity and to ensure that we do that responsibly, ethically, and in a way that can move everybody forward. And I take it considering P&G's efforts in this area, the company uh, thinks these uh, legislation, these bills, I think it's hard to make a blanket statement against you know, all the bills. I think what we focus our efforts on is the Equality Act. And what we're trying to do is making sure that everywhere that we can, we are creating inclusive platforms where everybody comes with an equal playing field and that we are doing everything possible to, to create those dialogues. And, you know, I know that when we do it well, it has a profound impact on the people that are viewing it because they're making connections and relationships with the community they may not have made before. Importantly, for young people that don't see their place in the world, they don't feel like they have an outlet, there's a community for them. It might be the first time they see themselves represented. And that's an element of hope. That's a way for them to know that there are other people out there like me and I'm okay. We did a campaign in the Olympics in 2018. It was an LGBTQ-focused campaign, not necessarily gender expansive. A young man wrote us and he talked about his experience of coming out. And he said because of that campaign, he did come out and started to live authentically. And at the end of it, he wrote, thank you for saving another soul. And when we do our job well, it creates that kind of connection that um, goes beyond a benefit. It goes beyond a function that your product or your brand is delivering, but helps people feel connected to society and know that they're supported and they're loved. And Lisa, what's your take on the proliferation of this type of legislation? And is it affecting your clients' thinking? And particularly among those clients who were telling you, you know, we need to get in this area. We understand we need to be educated, but this is so hot politically. We're, we're ambivalent. And what's going to talk to that a little bit? Well, I think in some companies, certainly, you know, the concern is the leadership came up during a time when companies weren't supposed to take positions on these things, at least publicly. They might have privately, they might have even put money behind certain legislators to do that. But those days are gone. Brand, you know, people expect people to represent humanity. And I think Brett said that as well as it really can be stated. I mean, one of the things that, that we talk a lot about with our clients is that simply because somebody has framed it as political does not mean that it's an inherently political. I remember in one client, they were really struggling, for example, with pronouns, and they had a significant group of folks who were saying, well, this is political, and we shouldn't uh, be using pronouns, and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, when did pronouns get political? And they were sort of struggling for a minute. And I said, what was it political 10 years ago when it was a binary sort of, you know, uh, pronouns and, and people did it as a sign of respect. When did it not become a sign of respect? It became, you know, political when folks began to have pronouns other than ones that were familiar and comfortable for some of us. And that doesn't mean, though, that it's inherently political. It's really not a political. It's a, it's a demonstration of respect from one person to another, to use the pronouns that we all 
want to have used for us. So, and I think this is the power of authentic representation coming at it as because somebody else has framed it as political with another political hard hit is not necessarily the way to do it. But representing the full spectrum of humanity in our humanity is incredibly powerful. I think it is life affirming for all of us. It, it is, as Brent also mentioned, life saving for some. And that's a responsibility that none of us, you know, who care about the messages that we're reaching folks with, that's not something we should be taking lightly. It's actually a pretty serious thing. You know, it isn't just that brands reflect society. We also create, you know, the world that we want to have. And I think it's important that we approach that in an authentic way. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I see a lot of different advertising around gender LGBT issues, and a lot of it just leaves me sort of cold. But I still get emotional at that first shave ad. I get emotional just thinking about that first shave ad. It's an emotional story. It's a beautiful story that takes it out of a political context and actually just shows the relationship between this father and his son and this very milestone moment in his life. So when we can do that and we just show the authenticity of what it's like living in this sort of diverse human experience, it's incredibly powerful. So I think, you know, I don't find this, you know, sweep of legislation surprising. Uh, we see, we do see it cyclically. I think when people come at these issues and say, you know what, I really want to understand more, what they tend to leave with is not that this is political, but this is deeply human. And what's required is a human response to it. And I think that's where the power is. And I think that's what brands can do at this particular moment in time, because we don't want to lose sight of the fact that for many, especially trans youth, this is a life-saving issue to get this right. We're not just talking about sort of another, you know, just another thing. We're talking about their ability to be supported and affirmed. We know that, you know, suicide rates are really high in the trans community, but we also know that when kids are supported, they have mental health outcomes that are pretty consistent with their peer group. So it isn't just the inherent experience of being a gender diverse person that is challenging, but it is the way that gets it's the obstacles I have to navigate in that world that are really challenging. So again, let's not allow things to become politicized that are really just part of our human experience and let's deal with them in a human way, and, not as a political way. And to backtrack just for a moment regarding the Gillette ad, I mean, is that just a really good model in that let's not be clinical, let's not be political, let the emotion tell the story. I know that when I saw that commercial as well, first thing that came into my head was when my dad taught me how to shave. That's right. And then it hit me right square. So is that really, at least I'd like you to just respond, is that really the, the model? It's the benchmark, Matthew. I think that's where you're getting it. And honestly, it is. And there aren't a lot of competitors for it. I think Brent's created a number of powerful campaigns. That particular one, I think, speaks to what are the elements that you're looking for, right? You're taking out of a political context, you're moving it into a personal context. You know, the truth is we, we can relate so much more across this gender spectrum when we get out of the political experience and we just talk about what it's like to be a human navigating this gendered world. And I think that's the power of that ad. It tells it poignantly in a way that many boys and men can relate to. They understand that experience. And all of a sudden, it's not an othering or mm -hmm. them. This trans boy and his dad are just like every other boy and their dad trying to navigate this terrain about shaving and helping our kids become, you know, the boys and men that we want them to be in the same way that we do with our, our kids of all genders. 
and that's such an important point about othering. And uh, we're coming down the home stretch here. Brent, uh, moving forward, give us a sense of how these efforts have impacted companies, uh, stakeholders, relationships with vendors, partners, affiliates. Where is everybody on the spectrum here and, and where is all this headed? It's a great question, and we're in the early days of this because it's, we're just really at the at the beginning of the forefront of building in this into the fabric of how we build brands. Over the past couple of years, PNG has made a intentional decision that LGBTQ and gender expansive marketing is going to be a core part of how we build our business. And associated with that is the expectation that our agency partners, that our creative partners, that everybody that's part of the creative supply chain is coming along with us in that journey because, frankly, we need them in order to bring all of this stuff to life. So we need to be doing the work in the boardrooms. We need to be doing the work behind the camera. And I think it's going to be a pretty explosive practice, particularly because there's a growing realization that this type of marketing is not niche marketing. This is general market brand building because to Lisa's point, we are reflecting the human experience and it is more niche and it is more complicated to bring to life because of the complexity and the diversity in the community. And it's going to require us to all make an intentional effort to learn, to adjust the craft and to get a bit deeper deeper from what we've been used to doing up to this point. So I think it's incredibly exciting. And I think the speed in which people are adopting it has been really kind of breathtaking after <laughs> generations of knocking on the door. The doors are flying open and now we've got to make sure that we are giving people the constructs to do it well and then giving them a reward for doing it right. But at the same time, we got to give people permission to make mistakes as they come in with good intention. Okay, very enlightening conversation here. Uh, good uh, takeaways for our CMO and marketers who are listening in. Anything I'm missing that either of you would like to add uh, that's salient uh, that you'd like to leave our audience with as we wrap up today? Brent, first to you. Well, I think we have an incredible power to create change and to drive conversation forward. And to my point about the consumer that wrote us that said, you know, thank you for saving another soul. It's those reactions that drive us forward every day. And when we face adversity, when we face pushback, it's that recognition that the job that we're doing is so critical to Lisa's point. It's not about just being life affirming, that it can be life saving, that it puts into context really the power of the voice that we have. And so I challenge people to think about it, not just as about being a force for growth for the business, because that's how we make it sustainable, but how do we use that as a force for good in our society in order to create a more common human understanding? Okay, and Lisa? Well, there's not much to add to that, but I will say two things. One, Brett and I have really talked about the importance of education, and I just want to come back to that. That really is the right sort of starting place. The second thing is there is a lot of fear out there that there's no room to make mistakes. And I would say I really don't see that and find that to be true. When people come at this having educated themselves and authentically trying to do the best they can. There's a lot of leeway given when they believe that a brand is genuinely approaching this from the right place. You can make mistakes and not have that be the end. But I think it's really when people believe that there isn't an authentic desire to do this work and represent folks, or they haven't done their homework, that that's when the pushback gets can be challenging. So I'd say, don't be afraid of this. It's the right thing from a business decision, but the other opportunities and things that are available in doing this work really are tremendous. And there's room to come at this and do your best and that your best really will be good enough. Okay, and with that, we're gonna wrap up. I'd like to thank you both, Brent and Lisa, for your time and joining me on Champions of Growth podcast. Really appreciate your insights. Until next time, thanks for listening.